Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Weekends are better when you spend it with us. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's news talk, TNT. Welcome back to hour three of Weekends with Jason Olborn. I'm delighted to have your company and you will not want to go anywhere in this hour because we're going to turn the heat up even further. I hope you enjoyed James Roguski there in the last hour, giving you some encouraging details there of what's happening with the international health regulations. And you can even scroll back on your feed. If you're watching it on YouTube and you want to catch up onto another interview in the section, you can scroll back and watch it back. It's terrific how simple it is. But this hour, as I said, it's going to heat up even more. And as it turns out, the Australian people finally have an opportunity to get some answers. Leaders and public health officials the world over chose to ignore the Great Barrington Declaration, advising against COVID lockdown measures, only to observe its evidence-based predictions come to pass. Australia's major parties were no different and continue to remain silent about their refusal to follow our own pandemic planning, where they instead opted for lockdown measures that turned Australia into a penal colony. This has resulted in untold detriment to millions of Australians that was unneeded. Why decades of science was ignored continues to remain largely unanswered. In Australia, there is a proposal for a Royal Commission into COVID-19, a court-style tribunal of inquiry that would greatly assist the Australian public to understand the reasons behind the denial of science when dealing with COVID in this country. This Royal Commission requires even greater support than the Great Barrington Declaration received if the truth is to see the light of day. And it turns out that Australian and New Zealand lawyer Julian Gillespie and Peter Pham and Katie Ashby Coppins have been working with a group of Australian doctors and scientists for creating a proposed terms of reference for the Royal Commission to ensure the Commission is properly empowered and given clear instructions about what needs to be examined and investigated. Answers from a Royal Commission created by the Australian people and not the public servants it is meant to investigate is what is needed and is long overdue. And you can visit the terms of reference created for the Australian people, review the terms of reference and show your support by becoming a co-signatory. And if we don't sign up to send Canberra the message, well, guess what? It's only going to happen again. And so it is in this hour. I'm going to be joined by two gentlemen. Julian Gillespie is a retired barrister who has advised legal challenges against the government overreach over the past three years of the COVID period. He has worked with other lawyers and politicians, special interest groups, and is a regular on TNT. Also, Associate Professor Christopher Neal is President of the Australian Medical Professionals Society. He has practiced medicine for 20 years, specialising in cardiology for the past 13. Since obtaining his PhD, he's been involved in clinical research in a tertiary hospital context, including supervising multiple higher degree students. Chris and Julian, welcome to Weekends. Good afternoon, Jason. Thank you. It's uh, terrific to see you both and uh, fighting fit, and it seems that the gloves are now on. There is a way that we can fight forward in somehow getting to understand what it was that was defied all logic that all of a sudden you lost your right to informed consent, you lost your right to a second opinion, you lost your right as a doctor to even be a doctor anymore, and yet here we are on the other side. We uh, kind of provide a little bit of lip service by the Albanese government, who did promise a royal commission when in opposition, and yet here we arrive. Julian, if I can start with you, how did you arrive at this process um, to work down a citizen's pathway here 
is as the way forward. Well, Malcolm Roberts and several other senators had been trying to raise a vote for, well, most of last year uh, in the Senate so that uh, a particular committee of the Senate, uh, which is the Legal and Constitutional Affairs Reference Committee, uh, would receive orders effectively from the Senate to investigate appropriate terms of reference for a royal commission. And those guys had to work for months and months and months. And then eventually in October, they got the numbers. And so we're familiar with the likes of Gerard Rennick, Pauline Hanson, uh, Malcolm, of course, uh, Ralph Babbitt, Alex Antic, and Matt Canavan coming out and really uh, <clears throat> fighting for the citizens, um, trying to understand why the major political parties did what they did. But they, they got additional votes from other senators who I'm not, I'm not sure exactly who they are to agree that we indeed do need to start considering a royal commission. So this is the very first step, and it's, it's the step that the Albanese government and the, the previous government, Scott Morrison, have just dreaded and been trying to hold hold out as a reality or potential reality. Um, and it's been where they've been placing all their energies, not to let a royal commission see the light of day. Well, we're, we're, we've begun on that path now. The Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee has received its orders from the Senate to spend a cons hopefully a considerable period of time uh, this year um, seek, uh, sorting through submissions which must be uh, lodged by 12 January this coming Friday uh, with respect to proposed terms of reference. Now, the timing, of course, um, couldn't have been worse. Mm. The vote got up in October, and <clears throat> we all know that Australians uh, cherish their Christmas and New Year's holidays, which run for, you know, up to six to eight weeks, you know, time off with the family. And so to have a submission date on 12 January was clearly uh, <clears throat> a ploy to catch people when they just weren't, you know, around to do the work. And so Malcolm Roberts reached out to me and he asked if I would assist with putting together draft terms of reference, because as you noted in your opening, uh, myself, Peter Pham and Katie Ashby-Copens, have we been in the legal trenches with several large uh, pieces of litigation against the federal government? So we've acquired the knowledge and the and the evidence uh, into all the issues that impacted uh, Australians, young and old, uh, since 2020. And then <clears throat> because we've built up a considerable degree of trust and, and, and rapport with some of the finest in the Australian medical and scientific community, we started structuring up what we believed are the most appropriate terms of reference created for Australians. So a Royal Commission can properly examine the public servants who brought so much detriment to the Australian community because it was the public servants who instituted the various lockdown measures vaccine passports, you name it, the, the list of what was what was done was extraordinary. And get on with the job of drafting those terms of reference when everyone else was on holidays. So that's what's occurred. We've spent 60 days consulting a, a very long list. If I can just share the screen with you, um, <clears throat> what we do have, and Chris will speak to this in a moment, is a landing page with an extraordinary array of collaborative organizations all in support but i'll just quickly scroll down to show you that 
We have 107 pages here, and we couldn't make it any shorter. Um, but we have the opening letter to the senators who compose the committee, the Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee. And then we have an extraordinary list of co-authors, an enormous array of professors of medicine and science, people with Orders of Australia and members of Australia. These are people who have been anointed by the former, uh, now deceased, Queen Elizabeth, um, and many other <clears throat> Persons of note, constitutional experts, with Professor Augusto Zimmerman being one of them, um, and a variety of specialists, PhDs in science and medicine, who have been advising us and working with us for the last 60 days to be able to frame 52 separate terms of reference, which we say are required within a royal commission for a royal commission to properly examine all these areas which impacted and affected Australians. Australians suffered detriments during 2020, 2021 and 2022, especially because of the actions of government um, and actions which were unprecedented insofar that we had prior pandemic preparedness plans, which were well established and well, well researched in place. Um, which were reconfirmed as late as October of 2019. Yet all of that was thrown out the window uh, come early 2020 and absurd recommendations coming from the WHO were instead implemented and adopted and imposed upon the Australian public. And we have to understand why, because there was no rhyme or reason and particularly there was no scientific basis for what we saw. And so this is what we have here on this within this document all the proper areas of inquiry that a properly empowered royal commission needs to look at uh, to get to the bottom of what was going on and just so everyone's clear on the process here this committee has to receive this document for instance and make its mind up if they're if they're happy with what they see and then choose to include it in a final report that they take back to the Senate and say, look, we think these are the best terms of reference if we're going to have a Royal Commission. Here's the problem. Albanese, within <clears throat> a week or two of this committee being empowered to undertake this particular task, Albanese commanded 160 other federal departments and agencies and state agencies to also put submissions into this committee, hoping that he can swamp the committee, overwhelm them with just a, a tidal wave of nonsense suggested terms of reference coming from government departments who want to paint a completely different picture. And obviously they'll want to paint a picture saying, we did a fantastic job, please give us an A plus and a pat on the back. Well, no, that's not going to wash on this occasion because we've had millions of people lose their livelihoods, hundreds of thousands lose their businesses and go into financial distress, if not bankruptcy. We've had tens of thousands of excess deaths, which no one in the government wants to even utter the idea COVID-19 vaccines might have been the result, the cause of, and clearly they were. And we've got over a quarter of a million severely injured individuals as a consequence of taking these genetic materials. So there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Now, <clears throat> we're not going to get down to findings of necessarily of liability and criminality, but we're going to be able to shine the light on who was responsible for making decisions that had no scientific basis. 
just to try and wrap this up quickly, we need co-signatories here, and we've already started receiving thousands upon thousands of co-signatories since this went live on Wednesday. So the committee members can see that tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Australians want these terms of reference, want these terms of reference. And here's the, the critical point. I'll just highlight it for you here. Australians want a royal commission created by Australians, not a royal commission created by the very public servants it is meant to examine. Now, that's what those over 160 departments have been set up to try and fool this committee into doing, mm. create a sham royal commission, which will not properly look at the conduct of public servants, the servants to Australians, and what they did uh, not do very well for the Australian people. I'll just hand it over there to Chris now so you can speak to this a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Julian. Um, yeah, one of the encouraging things, if you if, if your viewers are able to look at the website, um, which, by the way, is at amps.redunion.com.au, and then you can go to campaigns and find proposed terms of reference for the COVID-19 Royal Commission. Um, the, the website... Um, it shows an, an impressive panel of thus far 15 organisations. Uh, some of those organisations are uh, established pre-pandemic and, and have um, come alongside uh, and others, uh, organisations which have uh, emerged during the pandemic. But there's actually more uh, that um, are going to be badging this with their logos. And that itself shows a solidarity which is has been needed and, and is really welcome to see. Um, the the terms of reference have evolved since October. Essentially, uh, at that time, I happened to be in Canberra uh, with a with a group um, under the banner of AMPS uh, doing uh, a symposium into excess death in Australia. Yeah, your viewers might be aware and remember mm -hmm. that. Um, and it was a sizable group, and we uh, had the chance to meet again with. Uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts, and he mentioned that he showing us an A4 piece of paper with his intention to uh, try and get a vote for a royal commission into COVID. That is particularly uh, to to assess terms of reference. Um, and uh, he said he had the numbers, and thankfully by the end of the week, that was the case. Um, I think this is one of the watersheds. The fact that that uh, this was not the government's plan. This did not come from the Office of the Prime Minister or the Health Department whatsoever. As we know, uh, the Prime Minister had arranged a committee, having promised a Royal Commission, he arranged a committee, uh, seemingly with, uh, quote, eminent persons, but perhaps hand-picked persons. Uh, AMPS requested to have three, three uh, seats on that committee and we were denied. Um, but that... That committee is, of course, not what Australia needs. Um, we certainly don't need um, a, a, anything that can be biased towards the government um, and uh, reaffirming their narrative. It needs to be exacting. It needs to involve critical and independent thinkers. We need a royal commission. It's absolutely uh, critical that these issues, um, which you can see on the website, go, you know, um, dozens and dozens of issues which are in this context called terms of reference, um, you know, uh, this needs the the, the greatest uh, treatment that it can have, um, the most exacting treatment, and that's what a Royal Commission will will serve. Absolutely, um, yep. 
Yeah. Yep. Now, just just quickly, um, Julian, if we can just uh, come back to you for one sec. Um, I'm just looking at the website there for people to be aware of. So amps.redunion.com.au and you'll be able to get access to that where you can become a signatory, obviously, is uh, very important. We'll deal with that more. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more here on weekends. You're watching and listening to TNT. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today. News Talk, TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back here on weekends, and we've been just talking in the break uh, with both uh, Dr. Chris and Julian about the intensity of what we're seeing and what's coming. And there's no need to be alarmed, but you need to be aware of what's going on. It is just massive to think that we're in a situation now that the government is going to select who it wants to smother an inquiry. It's 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 quite disturbing, actually. It's um, It's showing us that what we've suspected all along that our intuition, our gut said that we were right. And um, Chris, if I can just come back to you for for a sec, I wanted to ask you a bit more about this Barrington Declaration that kind of came up at the very beginning of what's going on. And just to be able to um, to explain a little bit what that actually was and why it's so significant at this point, it seems that we want to have an inquiry to work out what we did wrong. The Barrington Declaration kind of predicted all of it, and yet our politicians are still not interested in even looking at such a document. Yes, so the the Great Barrington Declaration uh, came about uh, in late 2020 and had a great deal of international support. Uh, Professor Jay Bhattacharya was one of the originators of it. But as in his own words, uh, it was simply a a, a re-articulation of classical and evidence-based management of pandemics. Uh, Now that... Uh, the, the what 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 that can be also uh, phrased as is focus protection, quarantine, and focus protection of the elderly and the vulnerable, for instance, um, but not lockdown of whole societies. Recognizing, as was known, uh, the potential for you know collateral economic damage. So that's a story pretty well known, I think, to so many people. Uh, but that was roughly. Uh, 
uh, congruent with Australia's pandemic uh, protect pandemic uh, preparedness plans, which had been um, been uh, present since about two thousand five and were last released um, without too many changes uh, in two thousand nineteen in August. So, uh, what what one of the mysteries has been is how it came about that everything that um, our pandemic protect preparedness plans. Uh, said was not adhered to, and that, in, for one, uh, for instance, also included the use of masks, which uh, prior to the pandemic were known through meta-analyses to be not um, effective at containing uh, pandemic viruses. And since uh, the pandemic, particularly last year, with a meta-analysis coming out from the Cochrane Review by an Australian group, mind you, um, have again been shown to be ineffective, and yet. Um, as a sample issue, there's been no particular reckoning at a federal or a state level um, as to how this all came about and what are the implications for us now. Now, Julian, if I can just come back to you for a sec, it's um, the, the, the idea of how much we've seen the legal system just change over this last few years. Is there any way that perhaps that you can reference just how more difficult or how how it has changed in, in the sense of being able to, it seems that the information that's been put together here by you and, and, and Chris and this entire group is incredibly compelling. We haven't got into the, the nuts and bolts of it yet, but can you explain just how much more difficult this seems to be from a legal standpoint, or is this more game playing, so to speak, from the political sphere? How, how does it all come together? What's changed? Well, the Royal Commission is a Royal Commission. It's a, it's a legal entity in its own right. It's a, uh, they're, they're always created to serve one purpose, to look at one subject matter, and they're empowered by the terms of reference that they contain. So it's like uh, the terms of reference are like the, the sections of an act, any pieces of legislation telling that body what it can and cannot do. Now, if we get proper terms of reference, well, then the commissioners who will run the Royal Commission will have all the powers to look into all the shadows. Um, and that really means having full court powers to uh, order discovery, to look at the email correspondence between health officials across Australia, because they were all coordinating their, their messaging um, on a daily basis, sometimes several times a day. So the same message was being the same script was being used um, <clears throat> across Australia at the same time by every premier, every chief health officer, and every um, health minister. The Royal Commission will be able to to see that these these actors were doing just that. They were acting and just working to a script. As we were discussing during the break, we had so many politicians for the first time in their unqualified careers um, providing medical advice to the Australian community. None of them, most of them were just not doctors. And yet they were out there saying safe and effective. And so, well, sorry, where was the basis for that? What what evidence, you know, Premier Gladys Berejiklian um, was presented to you so you were comfortable to, uh, confident that the, that statement was a proper representation to the Australian people and particularly New South Welshmen, uh, that there was going to be absolutely nothing to worry about when it came to these vaccines. Well, of course, she had no basis for, for any of those statements. And it wasn't just that. 
statement. We have, as part of, if I can just flip back to the uh, the terms of reference. I'll just let you know, just one sec, Julian. We can't see that on air, that uh, that particular document. It, um, oh, okay. it, it only shows up internally, yeah. Okay, well, I'll just read to it. Mm. <laughs> because the statements for themselves were a travesty and were an egregious part of the whole campaign um, meant to basically con the Australian public <clears throat> into taking vaccines which contain GMOs. That's mm. another subject, but of course, mm. you know, we're in the federal court and we are currently suing Pfizer and Moderna because they did not obtain GMO licenses right. uh, prior to approval in this country. But we've got so many statements. We were told that they were safe and effective, that they would stop person-to-person -person transmission. I mean, it was never actually tested as part of the clinical trials, mm. that the drug would stay at the injection site, that the, the, the drugs would protect against reinfection, um, that they would not shed their ingredients or byproducts, that they would not enter the nucleus of human cells. Well, that's been categorically proven to be untrue, yet the TGA continues to maintain statements on its website saying that that doesn't occur, despite the scientific evidence that's been collected showing that it does, <clears throat> that it does not combine with human DNA. The evidence is already in that it does reverse transcribe into human DNA. Now, these are all extraordinary statements coming from so-called public health officials. They are just public servants at the end of the day. You put mm. a fish on the end of it, and all of a sudden it sounds like they've got some authority over us. Well, no, they never had the authority <clears throat> to legitimately, legitimately make the statements that they did. They essentially lied to the Australian public to receive poisons. And our public servants need to be examined for why they did that, who motivated them to do that, <clears throat> and where, where the orders came from. Because it's just beyond belief that Australian politicians had the ability to coordinate such a grand theatre for the Australian public without some input from overseas. Now, we do know that there was input from overseas. As Chris was mentioning before, we had in place a pandemic preparedness handbook, which was reconfirmed as late as, uh, I believe it was October of, um, <clears throat> of 2019. Mm. And then, and, and I should just add, you know, I've read that pandemic preparedness handbook very closely and in its signatures it specifically advises and all state and territory governments agreed to this advice that you don't mask people you don't stop mass gatherings you don't close businesses you don't close schools you don't do social distancing you don't do contract tracing you don't close borders because studies had been undertaken in the prior two decades as to the effectiveness of those measures and all the results came back saying there was little to no evidence of any benefit indeed any anything that is shown is risk then within six months and indeed less than six months when the uh, uh <clears throat> the declaration was made by the who all of a sudden the under the international health regulations the WHO was issuing recommendations which were a complete 180 degree. And they were advising on social distancing. They were advising on masking or advising on school closures. Now, hold on a sec, just so everybody's 
very, very clear on this point. Our pandemic preparedness handbook was almost a carbon copy of the WHO's pandemic preparedness handbook, which it had reconfirmed in 2019 as well, based on the same science. But then all of a sudden, in early 2020, the WHO just started making, <clears throat> without any scientific basis whatsoever, all these recommendations to lock really the globe down, but Australia really bore the brunt of it, as you know, with no basis. And so what was the motivation there mm. for WHO being used <clears throat> as a, a proponent of false science to lock people down and make them compliant. Well, it really ultimately appears like it was a play by the vaccine manufacturers and particularly the investors who wanted to get people so desperate to break back into freedom that they would take a, a, a GMO, <clears throat> a genetic drug, a gene therapy, and with their goddamn uh, vaccine passport to be able to go back to work or school or whatever it may have been, back to normal life. But these are just some of the issues just some of the issues that need the light shone on them. And <clears throat> we can only do that with a properly constituted Royal Commission. Indeed. So just so all of your viewers are aware, this committee will only take these terms of reference serious if they can see tons of support from the Australian pe people. Now, politics are run by the numbers. Politicians are answerable to their constituents. And so when they see like in Parliament numbers going in one direction, that's where they go. If they see tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people become co-signatories to the terms of reference that Australians create, not terms of reference that public servants create for trying to avoid being properly examined. If they see numbers, then they'll say, well, these are the terms of reference we must and should adopt. Once and they hopefully adopt the correct terms of reference, I'll make a report back to the Senate and Malcolm Roberts got the, the, the numbers up the votes to have this committee perform this function. If the proper terms of reference are reported back to the Senate, then we should hope that there'll be more senators who will support them and send a bill down to the House of Representatives and tell Albanese the Australian people are demanding a proper Royal Commission with these terms of reference. So there's a, there's a bit of politics to go, but this is the first step. Excellent. Well, absolutely, Julian. And um, I want to go back to Chris for a moment here. Um, Chris, we're trying to get to the bottom of how things have changed. And I know for me personally, my faith in the medical system has almost evaporated. To try and find just a GP that I feel like my family can be a family doctor is incredibly difficult. And I wonder how that permeates through the specialties uh, the same way. I mean, you are the president of AMPS, the uh, Australian Medical Professionals Society. Can you sort of provide some perspective in just how many doctors, for example, have been uh, have, have lost their, uh, their their ability to perform their duties, whether they've been suspended or, or replaced, and how it's affected the medical fraternity itself? Can you provide any perspective there? Well, yes. Um, generally speaking, what we saw was a, a public health regime uh, that was much more, I think, concerned with confidence and trust as well as compliance uh, seen in the public than true evidence-based medicine and, and the true transparency and the, and the ability to debate, uh, debate facts as indexed by the very fact that 
um, what was committed to and what was considered evidence-based in 2019 was departed from. Uh, and de debate was not uh, tolerated, particularly in any uh, sphere of society. And I think in medicine, it was very difficult. Uh, we know that hundreds of doctors uh, feel as though they, their medical free speech was curtailed severely. Um, people may draw attention to um, certain um, certain gag-like uh, orders uh, or threats of um, action against doctors if they questioned or um, were seen to be not going along with the narrative. Now, so so I think the whole nation was put under that kind of public health regime where where it wasn't really about uh, scrutinising everything and then thinking critically through it all. Um, doctors, I think, uh, have suffered a loss of trust. Um, we hear lots uh, of testimony to that. Um, the health system is in a crisis, which seems to be a rolling crisis, at least from late 2021 onwards, certainly from 2022. And you ask the question, how many doctors are, are still affected um, and not able to work? So the question of mandates um, now, we don't know the numbers, and I don't think any state knows the numbers uh, of doctors and nurses and other health professionals who are unable to work uh, where there are mandates, noting that um, Western Australia and Queensland have dropped state government mandates, which is to be applauded. But um, the, the numbers weren't collected. So when someone resigned, for instance, we know there was a lot of resignations of uh, senior doctors and and nurses, the, the reasons for resignation are not captured. So we can't really answer uh, how many were lost to the uh, workforce, although that's of vital importance to Australia and to AMPS. Um, many doctors have been put under discipline for uh, or investigation at different times for pandemic-related issues. That's a well-known fact admitted to by APRA. Uh, we continue to support uh, the right of doctors to speak their mind freely now, both in the public square and in uh, certainly the doctor-patient relationship, which is the cornerstone of how medicine should function. It's a it's a commitment which should not be impinged upon by government. Uh, that's part of the Geneva Declaration um, that um, essentially uh, in 1948, the World Health uh, I think it was the World Doctors' Federation, got together and one of the things they agreed to was that they would never curtail the individual human rights uh, on government orders, even if it hurt them. That's the kind of uh, ethical standard that doctors are called to, and it's very clear. Uh, but um, did doctors, did doctors uh, exercise that kind of uh, adv advocate role within the doctor-patient relationship, or was that impacted upon? These are the sort of questions that will be uh, probed in uh, hopefully when we get a uh, Royal Commission. This is the, um, the the hope that we all have that first of all, we can get uh, a, a Royal Commission, then we can have these terms accepted and, uh, and therefore we can commence the process of scrutiny. It seems that we have this incredible deficit of trust, realizing that absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a cliche, but it seems to be true. Julian, when you said earlier the idea that Albanese's proposal to flood these terms of reference with outsiders that are going to kind of obfuscate uh, the, 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 the minutiae of what you've been able to put together here, which isn't minutiae to us. We've seen this for years now, but it'll be looked upon as, oh, well, we don't need to look at that. We don't need to look at this. And, and somehow time and convenience will be used in some way to justify that they haven't got enough time. It seems that this is such a big deal uh, 
that it's so important that a Royal Commission could in fact go on for years. Who knows how long such a thing could go on, but we shouldn't be allowed to go forward, particularly with any relationship with the WHO and future international health regulations and possible pandemic treaties and conference of parties, etc., until we get to the bottom of it. I want to go to a break uh, quickly, but when we come back, I want to start with asking you that, is there any way that we can put into this terms of reference the idea that we don't move forward with the WHO on anything until we get to the bottom? Let's take that break and we'll come back with that first question after this here on Weekends on TNT. Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. On a virtual road, you can test the limits of your driving ability to see how fast you can go under the most extreme conditions, like when it's dark, when the weather's bad, or when the unexpected happens. The higher the speed, the harder the impact. But driving isn't a game or a race. When you're on the road, just 10 miles per hour over the limit can mean the difference between life and death. You're responsible for people's lives and your own. Slow down and save lives. The intersection of information and conversation. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends, and I trust that you're enjoying this detail that we're enjoying today with our guests. First of all, it was James Roguski in the last hour where we talked about what's going on at the WHO and in this hour with Julian Gillespie and Dr. Christopher Neal, who are working tirelessly as part of a conglomeration of people uh, and professionals working to create a terms of reference for a future COVID Royal Commission here in Australia. And before the break, I proposed the idea of the possibility that we could somehow be able to put a halt on any negotiation with the WHO. And I'll ask that question to Julian now. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but uh, where do we go next in terms of that? Is there any way we can just put the kibosh on it until we work out what's really going on here? Unfortunately, they're completely separate issues and one cannot be held as leverage over the other. Um, and so that's why, for instance, in my position in Children's Health Defence Australia, uh, as a director there, I've made it very clear to the board, I'm just going to concentrate on these COVID matters. And we have other members of the board who are specialising on the WHO issues because they're separate campaigns. And unfortunately, the, the two, if you like, army uh, armies cannot meet to try and coordinate and um, and <clears throat> and assist one another. And so... That's the way they've divided us. They continue to divide us. Um, as we were discussing in the break, the WHO amendments are really a massive distraction because as uh, Dr. Dr. Niels uh, noted that <clears throat> we don't, the WHO didn't need, didn't even indeed have any amendments in place 
to recommend what they did, but they recommended what they did anyway and had all signatories to the international health regulations uh, <clears throat> march in lockstep to ridiculous recommendations for locking down, you know, entire nations and mm. and and enforcing ridiculous penal measures on on entire populations. So sorry, no, we have to just, you know, <clears throat> choose if you can divide your time, great, or if you need to focus your energies in one area, um, well, that's what people have got to do. I focus on um, A, as you know, for the last few years, trying to get these vaccines, the supply of them stopped because they've they've been illegally introduced to the Australian market. But secondly, to get answers, because we see the Australian public as, well, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and ongoing um, stress and distress as a consequence of the many measures, uh, let alone those who over a quarter of a million Australians that we know uh, were severely and continue to be severely injured from the vaccines and the up to 30,000 uh, families of the persons who died from the vaccines. And then there's just the general post-traumatic stress created because of being locked down, isolated, not being able to see family members who were dying, <clears throat> um, kids not being able to properly learn social development. Uh, these are going to hang around us like an albatross for decades if they're not addressed. A properly formulated and empowered Royal Commission will shine the light, have appropriate authorities, departments and individuals examined like we're used to in a, a proper court of law, disgorge proper answers, <clears throat> see the correspondence to show that when they were lying, they were just lying to us. Mm. Um, and then the, the public will be able to begin to heal. It'll have catharsis and will start to emerge from the post-traumatic stress disorder and the public servants will realise that they overstepped the mark with their masters, that is the Australian people, and the social contract will start to be rectified and corrected and put back into its proper working order. That's a, a wonderful response uh, and I really appreciate that uh, you're able to make it sound so there is a pathway that we can be confident that can be followed here. Um, I want to just cut back to uh, Dr. Chris for a second, and uh, it, it's it's obviously to do with your specialty, uh, cardiology, and the concerns that many of us have had following along. And I just wanted to perhaps, even though it's not necessarily directly on topic here, but I just want to ask you, and you may be limited, and if you can't speak on certain things, that, that's fine, but how do you feel about the idea of what we now know about myocarditis, pericarditis, died suddenly, heart attacks from soccer players on the field? Does it bother you as much as it bothers the, the regular citizen who's watching and putting it all together and saying, this is not what we're being told here? How do you feel about that whole process in terms of heart health today? Where are we at? Yeah, look, I think that um, in the case of the two mRNA vaccines approved by the TGA, the TGA themselves acknowledge myocarditis and pericarditis as important, um, important identified risks and therefore um, key and vital to proper informed consent. Um, it was certainly uh, a condition that I saw a lot uh, post-vaccine um, injury uh, of my, producing myopericarditis, um, and I think it can have a huge impact. I think uh, everyone acknowledges that. I personally don't think we've got the real numbers, the real numerator um, yet. Uh, it'll be interesting, I think, because more more methodical study is being done. 
as to just what um, the overall impact has been. But uh, yeah, very significant and a tremendous burden uh, on individuals who, who suffer those uh, effects. Now, another aside question, you've completed a PhD. Let's say you were going back to complete a PhD today and it was on the um, effectiveness and safety of mRNA vaccines and you relied on government information that said that there's relatively no or low risk. How would that be considered, do you think, in the future, five or 10 or 15 years from now, would it be considered scientific fraud at that stage or just the idea that you were using the best available knowledge at the time, which seems to be this underlying excuse that we always see? Yeah, look, I, I, again, I think similarly the, the overall um, picture is still evolving mm -hmm. uh, one jigsaw piece at a time. Um, we have in Australia uh, TGA data, which is made public, and although it might not be perfect pharmacovigilance data, it is actually pretty detailed, uh, especially compared to other other nations. So I think we'll see uh, more information forthcoming as to impacts. Um, I mentioned that the TGA has already acknowledged certain risks, but they may not have acknowledged all the risks uh, that are that are sort of out there uh, and signals that are out there. Uh, that's something which we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, for sure. Now, um, going back, uh, Julian, we go back to the, um, the the particular document, the 107 page document that's been prepared. Are you aware of any other groups, organisations, for example, that would also be preparing, or is this? Uh, work that you've done with these 15 or so organisations, is this the pinnacle of what's actually going on here? Uh, it, it really is the pinnacle. It's the leading document um, in the nation that we're aware of. Uh, nobody, no one group or collection of groups has uh, devoted so much time and energy for getting the wording right and not overwhelming the committee. It's It's all very clear and there's no repetition. And it's easy to read. That's the most important thing. It has to be accessible to uh, not only senators who are just, you know, individuals like the rest of us anyway, but the Australian public to be able to get in and support so it's not <clears throat> burdened with legalese. Now, to be sure, like we, one of the uh, organisations is Australians for Science and Freedom, a terrific organisation. Um, and we've got, for instance, Professor Gigi Foster, who's one of the leadership uh, of ASF. We've got many co-authors from ASF who've contributed to these terms of reference, but I understand I haven't I haven't checked in with Gigi lately. But Gigi uh, is passionate because she's an, a thorough expert in the the consequences of lockdowns, for instance, um, <clears throat> economic, uh, social, mental, like the whole lot. Uh, she and and Professor Paul Freiters are able to speak to that subject matter exquisitely and in detail. I believe that Gigi and and Professor Freiters. Um, maybe putting in their own separate submissions on those discrete issues uh, just so they can fully inform the committee. So they will be complements um, to the terms, the substantial terms of reference that we are recommending to the committee and that we're asking the Australian public to come along and be co-signatories to recommend to the committee. Uh, there will be no other organisation that will come out with such detail uh, as that that we've been able to embody in those 107 pages and people should not be daunted um there are a few gaps between those in those pages between different references um but it is a read that everybody comes away feeling like they 
they're very glad that they undertook reading all of those terms of reference. And they're actually telling us that they've got satisfaction and indeed a sense of healing themselves, seeing it so beautifully articulated and requesting that all of these subjects, one by one, be examined appropriately. Now, in a perfect world, and let's assume that it can be for the purpose of this conversation, that all terms of reference that you've put together are accepted by a future COVID Royal Commission. Mm. How long do you think it would take for them to investigate? Is it possible to even uh, calculate a, 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 an approximate time that this would take? Is it is it months? Is it years? How would it how would it actually work? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, you. That's a, a really proper question. Um, and just to give people. Uh, a pretty reasonable expectation. We're so familiar with the evidence because we've been working it up and <clears throat> and and getting it into good form for the the various forms of litigation that we've been involved in, and all of the experts, the, the co-authors that you see on the terms of reference, it's become their unfortunately their specialty um, since they lived through COVID as well, and so they've been amassing all the evidence and and getting it nice and neat and packaged, which means. It's ready to run. It's it's ready to be presented to a royal commission. And so when you address, for instance, all the 52 terms of reference in our document, royal commission properly advised by lawyers like myself who are so utterly familiar with the materials and the extraordinary medical and scientific community that we are a part of and have been having these conversations with for the last three years, we can present that material and have a, a, a royal commission done within 12 to 18 months, we believe, which is really quite astounding given the number of terms of reference that we're commending, but the material and evidence is ready to go and the best experts for explaining it to the commissioners. That's oh, a wonderful answer, and it just shows just how much work has been going on in, in, in all of this. Um, if we can, we're down to our last sort of five minutes here, and I wanted to ask um, for Chris this this idea here. This is just another one of these extrapolations of what we're watching happen in real time. Chris, if we can get past all of what's happened in the last three years, if all suspended doctors can be reinstated, how, for example, do you think you yourself would be as a doctor in the future after what you've learned of this the past three or four years? I think uh, like uh, the members that I, I represent, um, our, our commitment is to ethical and evidence-based medicine, which I think it should be. Um, in and out of season, whatever's going on, we should always put the patient first. Uh, and yeah, I think that's a beautiful tradition uh, that we cherish and we want to defend at all costs. And I, I think that there's great hope um, that, that these things, as hard as they've been, can um, be again a kind of a, a watershed and a, and a time of decision that um, we can all pass through and come into a better, a better um, way of practicing. And I know that the hundreds of doctors that stand with AMPS are absolutely committed to that. From a, um, a financial perspective, and I know there must be a lot of doctors who have lost an absolute fortune during this period, notwithstanding reputations and all sorts of things that have gone. In my local suburb, two entire doctor's surgeries that had multiple doctors just closed down in the last couple of years. Absolutely phenomenal scenario. And it's not because they um, were, were, were anti you know, the, the, the narrative. They were just doing the, the normal thing. I, I don't know if people just stopped 
trusting or these doctors left for whatever reason or couldn't live with themselves for what was going on. And so that's why I wanted to ask you that question just about the general feel about medicine going forward, because if the if the patient is not trusting and the doctor is leaving, there seems to be an incredible amount of damage that has not yet been recognised in this profession. Do you think that there might also be scope, therefore, in the future that perhaps it can somehow decentralise off the Medicare system in some way so that it's not so controlled by rogue government in a crazy globalist system, perhaps? Look, I think there's a lot of pressures on Australian medicine uh, besides those we've talked about today. Um, and I think in particular, general practice is so pivotal, that's so pivotal to uh, the health of Australians. And there's a lot of pressures on, on GPs and sometimes um, the cost of businesses, the cost of doing business is one of them. And our Medicare system, um, it, I think, has strengths and weaknesses, but it's it's been traditionally very good at delivering good outcomes. And I think that we, we need to ensure that the uh, subsidies uh, for healthcare, which we're used to, i.e. the rules of the game, uh, keep up with the cost of doing business for doctors and, uh, and continue to support them to deliver good care. Um, I'm really in favour of of that. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, doctors can practice outside of subsidisation. Um, but uh, I don't think that's going to be a very mainstream issue, particularly uh, at the moment. Now, you, you wouldn't expect that it would, but you'd have to feel like there are a number of people, there must be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Australians that just say, I need access to some form of medical professional, I don't want to be on the system, and therefore the idea of becoming self-sufficiency, it's a, I guess it's a, 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 a slippery slope, a, a necessary evil in the sense that uh, this has been brought on by governments doing the wrong thing, and that's why we have to get to the bottom of it with a genuine Royal Commission and the uh, frames of reference that uh, both gentlemen have been a part of today of a much larger group. And uh, just uh, one more time, uh, please, uh, Chris, if you can just uh, help our viewers and listeners to uh, get to that website where they too perhaps may sign on as a signatory. What's the uh, web address, if you can recall, please? So that is amps, A-M-P-S, dot redunion, one word, dot com dot au. And then you can go to the tab which talks about campaigns. Uh, click on that and you'll see up the very top of that uh, a reference to the terms of reference that we've been talking about. Uh, uh, there's been thousands thousands uh, of signatures already without much in the way of interviews and advertisements. So that's a sign of, of the, the will to, to come alongside even at the start of the year and we hope that we'll have hundreds of thousands to just send that signal that uh, of support uh, that is needed at this time. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's such a big deal. And I, I can't thank you enough, both gentlemen, for the work that you're not just doing now, but you have been doing for years. Uh, and it seems that we've talk, spoken on many occasions uh, on various different shows here on TNT and out there in the wider community. And it is such an important, important work. It is the most important work that you do. And it seems a big deal that we've got to this stage now that we are creating new communities working together. And it's just the, the very beginning of, of what will be an incredible year of news all around the world on a number of amazing different issues. We're going to have to end the uh, interview now because we've got to go to news, but after the Break, you are going to meet another gentleman. His name is Chris McNichol, and he has also put together a, a submission. We'll get into that after the news. You are watching and listening to TNT.